1: Forget the crap online and listen to Science verses. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes.
0: What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon.
1: There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs
0: like Ozempic. They're
1: changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight. Starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The
0: impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal, Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. Something to note about secret societies. All of the groups covered on this show operate in secret. Secret. The details included in this episode are based on extensive research, but ultimately can never be 100% verified, except by society members themselves. For every kernel of truth, there's a swath of misinformation, strategically crafted by each group to protect their true goals and practices.
1: On January 20th, 1989, George H.W. Bush was sworn in as the 41st president of the United States. The former oil man from Texas had
0: secured the White House after a meteoric 15-year rise through Washington, developing a golden resume.
1: He leapfrogged from the House of Representatives to Ambassador to the United Nations, to Chairman of the Republican National Committee, to Director of the CIA, to Ronald Reagan's VP, all in record time.
0: Which led some to wonder, how exactly had he accomplished such a feat? He made every move necessary to position himself as the 41st president. It seemed too serendipitous to be accidental. It gave the appearance of an unseen hand working behind the scenes.
1: Because there was one more entry on Bush's resume, more important than all his diplomatic service. Over 40 years prior, while he was still a student at Yale, he'd pledged his allegiance to a secret order, promising to advance their interests in a quest for power. So on January 20th,
0: 1989... Who was really elected president? George H.W. Bush or a sworn brother of the Skull and Bone Society?
1: Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson. And I'm Greg Paulson. And this is Secret Societies, a ParCast original. Every Thursday, we examine history's most exclusive organizations from around the world and try to shine a light on these mysterious groups. From the Illuminati to the Black Hand to the Order of the Nine Angles, we'll explore how much impact each secret society actually had on the world around them.
0: In our first episode, we'll give you the facts—at least all the facts we can verify—why each group was founded, how they recruited new members, their initiation rituals, and the secret
1: meaning behind their symbols, known only to the loyal. In Part 2, we'll examine some of the alleged actions of each group. We'll try to parse what's real from what's rumor as we explore some of the most popular conspiracy theories surrounding each one.
0: Last week, we explored the founding of the Skull and Bones Society in 1832. We saw how Yale's social hierarchy and elitism made it the perfect breeding ground for secret societies.
1: This week, we'll explore some of the more popular theories about the Skull and Bones. With so many alumni positioned in the roles of power, does the organization have a secret, coordinated goal for society? Once the Bonesmen leave Yale College, are they actively engaged in implementing a new world order?
0: One of the most pervasive theories about the Skull and Bone Society is that they're trying to influence global politics through strategically placed members, or Bonesmen.
1: Because there's no doubt that once they leave the tomb, the all-male members of Skull and Bones hold elite jobs in prominent roles of power. If they're involved in pushing a massive conspiracy, they're certainly well-placed to do so. Zoom in on any
0: Skull and Bones class. You'll see bonesmen pulling other bonesmen up into their ranks. But perhaps the most quintessential example of the power of the tomb is George H.W. Bush.
1: After graduating from Yale in 1948, Bush went to work in an oil company, Dresser Industries, run by bonesman Neil Mallon. In
0: 1950, he set out on his own venture, founding the Bush-Overby Oil Development Company. His father and uncle, both bonesmen, invested in the company, as did bonesman Ludd Ashley.
1: In the early 1960s, Bush sold his oil company for a hefty profit and embarked on a career in politics. Bonesman William F. Buckley of the National Review invited him to participate in a Republican symposium, jump-starting his political life. And Bonesman were
0: there on his way to the White House. Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart swore Bush in as the Director of the CIA in 1976 and as Vice President to Ronald Reagan in both 1981 and 1985.
1: When Bush assumed the presidency in 1989, he stacked his appointments with as many bonesmen as possible. He appointed Edwin Dale Jr. to Director of External Affairs in the Office of Management and Budget. Barry Zorthian went to the Board for International Broadcasting. He tried to nominate John Towers to Secretary of Defense, but was ultimately bogged down in the confirmation process.
0: Ambassadors, judges, aides, you name it, Bush knew a bonesman for every role. And when push came to shove, they all knew who to thank for their position. They knew where their loyalties lay.
1: When it was his son's turn in the White House, the bonesmen fell in line. Dudley Taft, the grandson of Bonesman and President William H. Taft, donated $25,000 to George W. Bush's campaign fund. William Frederick Smith hosted a $100,000 fundraiser. Stephen Adams donated $1 million worth of billboard advertising in key swing states.
0: He paid them back in kind with appointments.
1: Coincidentally, in the 2004 presidential race, both candidates, George W. Bush and John Kerry, were bonesmen.
0: And the Skull and Bone Society supported them both on their path to the White House.
1: This could be seen as further evidence that the club has a larger agenda at stake. The New World Order is bigger than liberal and conservative. Republican and Democrat don't matter, just bones.
0: Yale professor Dr. Anthony Sutton has written extensively about the Skull and Bone Society. In his book, America's Secret Establishment, he explains that to truly understand the bones' motives, you have to know where they came from.
1: As we discussed last week, there's some debate about why founder William H. Russell started the secret society. Some allege that it started as a study group to influence academic life at Yale. Others say that the club was a way for Russell and his friends to thumb their noses at the administration.
0: But Dr. Sutton and others believe that the Skull and Bone Society was not actually of William H. Russell's design. Instead, it's a sister chapter of an already existing group, and it was founded as an American base for a larger goal of global power.
1: The year before he founded Skull and Bones at Yale, Russell studied abroad in Germany. Sutton believes that during that time, Russell was exposed to a German secret society, which were fairly common at the time. He possibly adopted their ideas and methodology and agreed to export them back to America.
0: Members themselves admit that the name Skull and Bones is inspired by two German phrases, as we covered last week.
1: And one of the club's ritual songs, recited at the close of every Skull and Bones gathering, is set to the tune of the German national anthem.
0: But why does it matter if the group is a sister chapter to a German club?
1: According to Dr. Sutton, in addition to songs and mottos, the Bonesmen adopted the Germans' philosophy of Hegelianism. In extremely simplified terms, Hegelianism is anti-individual. Instead, practitioners believe in surrendering to the collective, to a higher power, to God.
0: To give an abstract example, while individual words have meaning, when they're used together in a sentence, they have greater meaning and power. Even more as a paragraph, as a book, as a library.
1: When applied to politics, God becomes the state. Like God, its power should be absolute and it requires complete obedience. Dr. Sutton summarized, The state is supreme and conflict is used to bring about the ideal society. Individuals find freedom in obedience to the rulers.
0: If the Skull and Bone Society is truly a Hegelian organization, the implications of its vast reach into the halls of power suddenly becomes a lot more threatening. Each Bonesman believes in strict obedience to the leaders of their group and the goals of the organization, and believes that obedience to the state should be the goal of society.
1: So who's the leader? Who decides the goals?
0: After studying the roster lists of over 170 classes of bonesmen, Dr. Sutton believes that there are 15 to 20 core families running the group, which he calls the Order. They're some of the oldest, wealthiest dynasties in America's history. Many of them can trace their lineage back to the colonies. Families like the Lords, the Phelps, the Bundys, the Whitneys, the Wadsworths, and the Tafts.
1: Along the way, they've picked up some new money families— the Rockefellers, the Harrimans, the Pillsbury's, the Payne's, the Sloan's, and the Davison's. Together, they dominate the government, industry, finance, education, media, and more.
0: Under Dr. Sutton's theory, the same small group of wealthy elites has maneuvered throughout history to influence and control the state.
1: If true, then 2004 was truly peak Hegelianism for the Skull and Bones. Whether it was George W. Bush or John Kerry, who was elected president of the United States, the order won.
0: If the Skull and Bone Society did model their philosophy on German Hegelianism, they wouldn't be the first well-known group to do so. It also greatly influenced Adolf Hitler, And the Nazi Party.
1: And there are a number of links between prominent Bonesmen and Nazi Germany. The Guardian reported findings from the U.S. National Archives confirming that as early as 1924, Bonesmen funneled money to German businesses that funded Hitler's cause, thus aiding his rise to power.
0: Not only did Bonesmen support Nazi supporters financially, but many believe they also supported Hitler's views on eugenics and the master race. Based on these notions, one could argue that, while the Skull and Bone Society poses as a simple college fraternity, it might actually have roots as a white supremacy group, grappling for global domination.
1: Coming up, the connections between the Bonesmen and the Nazi Party's race laws. Now, back to the story.
0: Dr. Anthony Sutton argued that, when the Skull and Bone Society was founded in 1832, it adopted the German philosophy of Hegelianism as its guiding principle. With this in mind, the group is angled to dominate politics and industry, to bring about the Hegelian ideal of an absolute state in America.
1: Another notable group that subscribed to Hegelianism was the Nazi Party.
0: Hegelianism believes that conflict is necessary to bring change. The struggle between a thesis and an antithesis will synthesize into a better result. One of the simplest ways to create opposition is to single out an other and create an us-versus-them mindset.
1: For Bonesmen, it's in-group versus out-group. For the Nazis, it was the superior Aryan race versus the inferior lesser races. In the second case, the result of the synthesis would be a unified Europe led by the absolute German state, the Hegelian ideal.
0: Ostensibly feeling connected by their like-minded cause, several bonesmen pledged monetary support to some of Adolf Hitler's financial backers in the early 20th century.
1: One of the more notable names on the Skull and Bones roster is W. Averill Harriman. He was truly a jack-of-all-trades, a business tycoon, a venture capitalist, a diplomat, and a politician. He served under four presidents, earning the descriptor of super diplomat. He was also on the board of directors of at least three companies, while investing in several more.
0: Perhaps his most well-known business was the one that bore his name, Brown Brothers Harriman. Today, it's one of the oldest and largest wealth management
1: companies in the U.S. And since its inception, the firm has employed legions of bonesmen, Prescott Bush, Knight Woolley, Robert A. Lovett, and more. By 1972, nine of the 27 managing partners at Brown Brothers Harriman were bonesmen.
0: But this wasn't the only financial institution managed by Skull and Bones. Harriman also established an offshoot bank around 1924, called the Union Banking Corporation. He formed it in partnership with Bankvar Handel and Skapefart, owned by the Thiessen family.
1: Fritz Thiessen was a German businessman and industrialist. He was also one of Adolf Hitler's largest financial supporters. His autobiography is titled I paid Hitler
0: through the banking partnership. Interested Americans could deposit money into a Union Banking Corporation account, transfer it first to the Bank for Handel, then to the August Teisen Bank in Berlin, where it was funneled to the Nazi Party.
1: Journalists Ben Harris and Duncan Campbell wrote. By the late 1930s, Brown Brothers Harriman and UBC had bought and shipped millions of dollars of gold, fuel, steel, coal and U.S. Treasury bonds to Germany, both feeding and financing Hitler's buildup to war.
0: We know this occurred because eventually the U.S. government caught wind of these exchanges. In 1942, they seized UBC under a vesting order, accusing the bank of trading with the enemy.
1: And these suspicions were confirmed when investigators examined the UBC's records. They found an account in Fritz Thiessen's name holding $3 million, roughly $16.2 million today.
0: But Harriman and his Bonesman investors weren't just financially supporting the Nazis. They were also profiting off their war crimes.
1: Brown Brothers Harriman was a major investor in a steel manufacturing company in Poland called the Consolidated Silesian Steel Company, or CSSC. When Germany invaded Poland, they seized most of the factories and methods of industry.
0: However, the American investors in CSSC and other Polish factories continued to receive dividends. Hitler was hoping to persuade the U.S. to remain neutral in World War II by allowing them to benefit from the Third Reich's advancement. Brown Brothers Harriman appeared more than happy to do so.
1: But the CSSC plant, like many factories in Poland at the time, was staffed with slave labor sourced from various incarceration camps, including Auschwitz. More unsettling, there's evidence to suggest that American investors were aware of the labor source because they fought to protect it.
0: In January of 1944, FDR issued an executive order to take all measures to rescue European Jews. As part of this, he wanted to destroy the various concentration camps and their connecting railway lines through airstrikes.
1: But the order was ignored after a group of American business executives, led by Bonesman Prescott Bush, who pressured the government not to bomb the camps. It's been suggested that they wanted to protect their labor source to preserve their revenue stream. However,
0: there's also another possibility beyond ruthless business acumen. Some believe another reason might be that the Bonesmen wanted the camps to remain open because they supported the genocide being carried out there.
1: Because in addition to sharing Hitler's political views on Hegelianism, several members of the Skull and Bone Society shared the Nazis' views on racial purity. Dr. Sutton suggests that the secret society is actually a eugenics tool to preserve the integrity of elite bloodlines.
0: One of the most pervasive rumors about the Skull and Bones initiation ritual is that new members are forced to masturbate in a coffin to be reborn as a bonesman. They're also compelled to reveal their entire sexual histories to their brothers.
1: The jury is out on the first part. There's no hard evidence that ejaculation is a part of the skull and bones history, but there's overwhelming confirmation that new bonesmen are forced to reveal their sexual past. It's a process called connubial bliss.
0: In the weekly meetings following initiation, one by one, each new member takes his turn confessing his complete sexual history.
1: In Alexandra Robbins' book, The Secrets of the Tomb, the Bonesmen she talked to insisted that it wasn't as ribald as one might assume. While the first 20 minutes might feel like locker room talk, revealing details of past conquests, Eventually, it evolves into a larger conversation about relationships and becomes a bonding experience.
0: One alumni explained, There was nothing perverse or surreal or prurient, just a kind of open exchange. It's like TV's Ricky Lake. Now there's a national mania for purging thoughts at large. This is a way of doing it in a very private, non-sensationalist way that benefits the people who are listening and the people who are telling.
1: But it's hard to imagine the original members of the Skull and Bones Society waxing poetic about lost loves or examining their behavior in relationships to determine why they push people away.
0: Instead, connubial bliss might have been as surface as it seems. They wanted to know who was an acceptable specimen to keep the bloodlines pure. Journalist Ron Rosenbaum echoed this explanation in his article, The Last Secrets of the Skull and Bones. Writing, the sharing of birth control and self-control methods minimize the chance of a good man and future steward of the ruling class being trapped into marriage by a fortune hunter or a working class girl.
1: And beyond keeping the core families consolidated, intermarrying again and again, Bonesmen have also supported applying eugenics to the masses. Dozens of them were members of the American Eugenics Society.
0: In 1922, the Society opened a headquarters in New Haven, next door to Yale's campus. They supposedly felt it was important to be closely connected to an institution of higher learning to encourage men of science
1: to pass on their superior genes. The group's founder? Bonesman Averill Harriman's mother, Mary Williamson Averill Harriman. Mary Harriman,
0: Averill Harriman's mother, was also an avid supporter of the Eugenics Records Office, or ERO. This was a research lab established by the Carnegie Institution of Washington Station for Experimental Evolution. Mary provided the majority of their funding for several decades.
1: With her money, the ERO gathered data via surveys, asking questions about a person's family history, education levels, and economic background. As P.K. Wilson outlined in their paper on the ERO, data was organized on family pedigree charts that contained information about the incidence of particular traits thought to be hereditarily linked. Special talents in music, math, sports, or invention were also recorded, as were subjective assessments of mental ability.
0: The charts also recorded undesirable traits that had no genealogical relation whatsoever, such as the incidence of multiple births and diseases like tuberculosis and syphilis.
1: Using the data collected by the ERO, the Eugenic Society lobbied for forced sterilization legislation, In 1924, several states passed a version of the ERO's Model Eugenical Sterilization Law. It stated,
0: whenever the superintendent shall be of opinion that it is for the best interests of society that any inmate of the institution under his care should be sexually sterilized, such superintendent is hereby authorized to perform the operation of sterilization on any such patient afflicted with hereditary forms of insanity that are recurrent idiocy, imbecility, feeble-mindedness, or epilepsy.
1: But the law was applied on a case-by-case, state-by-state basis. This wasn't good enough for the Eugenics Society. They needed approval at a federal level.
0: They got their chance in 1927. The Supreme Court upheld forced sterilization in the feeble-minded in Buck v. Bell.
1: The Chief Justice on the bench? Bonesman William H. Taft.
0: Forced sterilization laws were adopted by 24 states in the first half of the 20th century. It's estimated that roughly 60,000 people were forcibly sterilized under the statutes laid out by the ERO.
1: A large number of those treated were immigrants. One of the qualifications for sterilization, feeble-mindedness, was determined by an IQ exam, the Stanford-Binet test.
0: But the test was only given in English no matter what language the person taking it spoke. In addition, several of the questions used idioms that only native English speakers would really understand. Therefore, it skewed the results, and over 85% of the Russian, Jewish, Polish, Mexican, and Italian immigrants tested fell in the moron to imbecile range.
1: With that rating, they were legally eligible for forced sterilization if they found themselves institutionalized for any reason.
0: The high point of this Bonesman eugenics connection was the Third International Congress of Eugenics, held in 1932. Several Skull and Bones families were sponsors of the event.
1: Now three years into the Great Depression, rampant unemployment made the idea of population control suddenly mainstream. With so many people going hungry, struggling to make ends meet, maybe there really were just too many people.
0: But in true Hegelian style, the eugenic society followed a principle of us versus them, those worthy of procreating and those unworthy.
1: In his keynote address at Congress, Henry Fairfield Osborne lamented, In nature, these less-fitted individuals would gradually disappear. But in civilization, we are keeping them in the community in the hopes that in brighter days they may all find employment. This is only another instance of humane civilization going directly against the order of nature and encouraging the survival of the unfittest.
0: And who decided someone's fitness? Why, the state, of course. With the help of the folks at the
1: Bonesmen Run eugenics records office. Also present at the 1932 conference was Dr. Ernst Rudin, a Nazi and co-founder of the German Society for Racial Hygiene. The next year, in the summer of 1933, Rudin co-authored the Law for the Prevention of Genetically Diseased Offspring.
0: It was based heavily on the 1924 ERO-sponsored sterilization law and targeted the mentally ill, the so-called feeble-minded, the physically
1: handicapped,
0: and those suffering from addiction.
1: But unlike the American law, which was only applied to the institutionalized, Rudin's law was enforced in the general population. Genetic health courts were created to rule on various cases and determine if someone was fit to propagate.
0: From 1933 to 1945, at least 200 genetic health courts were established and an estimated 400,000 people were forcibly sterilized.
1: After World War II, once the horrors of the Holocaust were exposed, the concept of eugenics fell out of favor, but it didn't disappear entirely and members of the skull and bones didn't completely sever their ties. In 1952,
0: John D. Rockefeller III and Frederick Osborne, both of their families with ties to Skull and Bones, and both members of the American Eugenics Society, founded the Population Council.
1: The Council is a nonprofit organization that focuses on contraceptive education, specifically in developing non white countries. They've held patents for several IUD birth control devices, including the Copper T IUD, Norplant, and Mirena.
0: Under the guise of family planning, they offer to implant IUDs in women who otherwise wouldn't have access to reliable birth control. But this means that, in effect, the council advocates for voluntary sterilization, primarily in people of color.
1: In 1999, Chicago implemented a voluntary cash-for-sterilization program called CRAC, or Children Requiring a Caring Community. For $200, drug addicts submitted to either tubal ligation, vasectomy, or a long-term contraceptive implant. Chicago used the Population Council's device, Norplant.
0: Bonesmen have brought population control ideology directly into the government as well. In 1970, fellow Bonesmen and Congressman George H.W. Bush and Robert Taft Jr. served on the Task Force on Earth Resources and Population. They labeled overpopulation as the number one threat to America.
1: They filed a report about the issue on July 8, stating, sociologists believe that this density of population has been a prime cause for increased automobile traffic deaths, drug addiction, broken marriage, alcoholism, crime, homosexuality, suicides, venereal disease, and heart attacks as a result of the social stresses that man encounters in his struggle to exist in such a congested environment.
0: The sociologist they referred to was Dr. William Shockley, a Nobel Prize winner and eugenics advocate. Similar to Chicago's crack initiative, Shockley recommended paid voluntary sterilization. Anyone with an IQ below 100 should be given a lump sum if they agreed to be sterilized.
1: According to journalist Edward J. Boyer, Under Shockley's proposal, non-taxpayers with an IQ below 100 would have been paid $1,000 for each of their IQ points under 100 if they agreed to be sterilized. Such an intervention in the gene pool was necessary, he argued, to curb what he called dysgenics, or overbreeding among the genetically disadvantaged.
0: It's also worth noting that Shockley was undoubtedly racist. He said on multiple occasions, in multiple ways, that black people are genetically and intellectually inferior to white people.
1: In addition, both Shockley and Frederick Osborne of the Population Council have ties to the Pioneer Fund. The Southern Poverty Law Center classifies the Pioneer Fund as a hate group due to their racist and white supremacist nature.
0: But what does all this mean for the Skull and Bone Society? Well, if you believe that they're in the process of pushing a global agenda, then it's not just about eliminating undesirables at the bottom of the spectrum. It's also about making sure that the core maintains their roles of influence at the top.
1: Dr. Anthony Sutton argued in his book, America's Secret Establishment, that bonesmen are actively engaged in implementing a Hegelian New World Order. As we said earlier, when applied to politics, a Hegelian state is absolute and supreme.
0: So, with this principle, what do the bonesmen
1: want? Well, put simply, to rule the world.
0: Coming up, exploring the skull and bones' speculated attempts at world domination. Now, back to the story.
1: To understand the true goals of the Skull and Bone Society, Dr. Anthony Sutton argues that we have to look past ideas like left and right or Republican and Democrat. There are no sides in Hegelian politics. There is only the state, absolute and supreme.
0: Linked by this common philosophy, the Bonesmen allegedly supported another Hegelian group in the early 20th century, Adolf Hitler and the Nazis.
1: But another German thinker was also inspired by Hegel, Karl Marx. He also believed in obedience to an absolute state, but one that was in service of the people. In the Marxist version of us versus them, it's capitalist versus communist. And
0: as a Hegelian organization, the Bolsheviks and Soviet Russia enjoyed the same financial support that Bonesman institution Brown Brothers Harriman offered to the Third Reich.
1: Through the Ruscom Bank, investors funneled money to the fledgling communist nation. Eventually, Avril Harriman served as the U.S. ambassador to Russia.
0: On the surface, this support appears completely illogical. Why would Brown Brothers Harriman, quite literally the embodiment of capitalism, help the Bolsheviks establish their anti-capitalist
1: republic? Well, as we said earlier, a key principle of Hegelianism is that conflict produces change, and whoever's in control of that conflict will profit the most. By financially backing both the Nazis and the Soviets, the investing bonesmen nudged Europe in the direction of World War II.
0: As we mentioned, Hegelianism employs a concept of thesis versus antithesis. It's through the conflict of these two opposing ideas that a new, better solution synthesizes.
1: Dr. Sutton labeled Soviet Russia as the thesis, Nazi Germany as the antithesis, and World War II as conflict.
0: The synthesis that emerged was the United Nations the first step towards establishing a world governing body and a global state. Since its inception, two bonesmen have served as the UN ambassador, James Jeremiah Wadsworth and George H.W. Bush.
1: Harriman's next Hegelian experiment was the Cold War. In this case, the opposing forces were Harriman's two different relationships with Russia. The thesis was his government role as an ambassador In this position, he acted as a conduit between Stalin and the different presidents that he served under, giving them insight into the foreign leader's mindset and helping them to shape their policies accordingly. Harriman reported
0: to Presidents FDR and Truman that he believed the Soviets posed a significant threat to America and democracy. Therefore, we had to beef up our defenses accordingly. Harriman is credited with setting the table for the Cold War.
1: So, the antithesis to this was his business role as an investor in Russia. As we know now, the Soviet communist economy wasn't nearly as threatening as it was made out to be. It couldn't support massive industry. Stalin himself admitted that two-thirds of the factories in the Soviet Union were backed by American financiers, many of them with ties to Brown Brothers Harriman.
0: This means that Harriman was advancing two opposing agendas both funding the continued advancement of Russia, as well as actively warning the U.S. about their ever-growing power.
1: Thesis versus antithesis. But what was the goal?
0: After the conflict of the Cold War, America synthesized as the dominant global superpower. Now, the U.S. government itself holds more global power than an entity like the U.N.
1: The American state practically represents the global state. Any action the U.S. government takes will have ripples on a global scale.
0: And as we've established, the Bonesmen spent the better part of the 20th century completely infiltrating every piece of the American governing body.
1: With the close of the Cold War and the repositioning of America on the world stage, they were primed to implement their New World Order.
0: And then, in 1988, Bonesman George H.W. Bush was elected president.
1: 12 years after that, his son took
0: over the White House. Between the two men, America engaged in four foreign wars, Operation Desert Storm, Operation Desert Shield, Operation Enduring Freedom, and Operation Iraqi Freedom.
1: Under George W. Bush, the US government enacted the Patriot Act.
0: Similarly to the ERO sterilization law, it disproportionately impacts immigrants, non-Christians, and people of color.
1: And once again, it's all backed by Hegelianism, us versus them, Americans versus the terrorists. And the state will tell you exactly who the terrorists are.
0: In the time following both Bush administrations, the Skull and Bones Society has received more press attention and become more well-known by the public. Therefore, it's lost some of the power that anonymity
1: affords. When Dr. Sutton published America's Secret Establishment, he included the roster lists of every member inducted in Skull and Bones from 1832 to 2004. In the age of the internet, someone's bonesman status is now basically public knowledge.
0: Therefore, the true power players of the Skull and Bones Society have likely branched out into new anonymous groups to better hide their goals.
1: There are three key organizations that overlap with the Skull and Bones membership. The Council on Foreign Relations, the Bilderberg Group, and the bohemian club
0: the council on foreign relations or cfr is not a secret society they provide their membership lists to the public however the sheer number of skull and bones members who are also in the cfr begs the question are they steering the group from the inside
1: the Bilderberg group initially made its membership public but has since concealed their lists Much like the Skull and Bones, members come from both sides of the aisle, lending itself to the idea that this is another group influenced by Hegelianism. It's not about left or right, it's just about power.
0: The Bohemian Club is the most secretive of the three. Every year they hold a meeting for all club members at a private location known as Bohemian Grove.
1: Unlike the CFR and the Bilderbergs, which are strictly business-styled meetings, the Bohemian Club includes some of the pageantry of a secret society. Most notably, they begin their yearly retreats with a bonfire ceremony called the Cremation of Care.
0: By diversifying into these other anonymous organizations, the Bonesmen are able to retain their power. Because as we've seen, it's what goes on behind the scenes that has the most impact.
1: Today, the Skull and Bone Society functions as most collegiate fraternities do. In the 1990s, they expanded their membership requirements to allow women to join the Bonesmen ranks.
0: With so many of their secrets revealed, alumni lament that the Bonesmen have lost much of their prestige and aura. But this might be another example of members deliberately feeding misinformation.
1: After all, no one really knows what goes on in the tomb. They could be robbing graves.
0: They could be wrestling naked in the mud.
1: Or they could be plotting to rule us all.
0: Thanks again for tuning into Secret Societies. We'll be back on Thursday with a new episode.
1: For more information on the skull and bones, amongst the many sources we used, we found Dr. Anthony Sutton's book, America's Secret Establishment, extremely helpful to our research.
0: You can find all episodes of Secret Societies and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify.
1: Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals like Secret Societies for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker.
0: To stream Secret Societies on Spotify, just open the app and type Secret Societies in the search bar.
1: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Secret Societies was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joel Stein. This episode of Secret Societies was written by Abigail Cannon, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Greg Polson and Vanessa Richardson.